Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... It's an all-crew chief episode with Aaron Brooks and Jason Bunker talking all things nitromethane in the upcoming season. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. From funny cars to dragsters to promos and everything in between, these guys have done it all. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line, stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pentagon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans back again with another off-season edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast. This is going to be a good one. We have Jason Bunker and Aaron Brooks coming on, two crew chiefs, two respected crew chiefs, and two guys who have had their hands on a whole lot of race cars over the years and continue to be very busy with a multitude of race cars between the two of them. It's going to be fun to talk about their careers, what they're looking forward to in 2022, and, and kind of their impression on the uh, current state of nitro racing, what this 2022 season should and could and might look like, and really all things in between. These are two guys that uh, have just loads of experience and um, are very entertaining, and it's going to be fun to have these conversations. There has been some crew chief news made in the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series between our last episode and this one, and that is the fact that Tommy DeLago has been named the assistant crew chief to Mike Green on Justin Ashley's top fueler, the Davis Motorsports, Dustin Davis, Justin Ashley effort, adding Tommy DeLago. And this is uh, a big pickup for that team. Obviously, Tommy is a championship-level crew chief, has been around the sport a long time, took a couple years off, started a business. He's a beef jerky magnate now, and he's going to be spending a lot more time at the racetrack. And it's been uh, interesting and fun to kind of watch the stories and the interviews with Tommy DeLago. And we'll be speaking to him on the Insider Podcast over the course of this offseason. But, you know, it was neat to, to listen and, and kind of get his perspective on, you know, needing after a quarter century of living effectively on the road in the sport of drag racing just to take a deep breath for a minute and that deep breath took a couple of seasons and he uh, is very happy to be back in and he and Mike Green have uh, history together working in on a top field dragster years ago and um, you know listening to the way Mike Green has surveyed the situation he's able to place a lot of trust in in Tommy DeLago on R&D projects and things that'll be going on at the racetrack as well so it's going to be fun to watch the evolution of that team as well as uh, as well as how you know we see all these other teams that are forming up, whether it's new crew chiefs, new people. Uh, we have an understanding that in the next week or two we'll be learning who the primary sponsors will be um, at the Tony Stewart Racing Camp. We're going to be hearing more about that. Understanding too, we may be hearing about the. Um, manufacturer alignment of Ron Caps, uh, what kind of bodies he'll be running on his Nitro Funny Car, what the plan may be on that front. And it has been a uh, it's it's a hustle all around the sport. You know, last week uh, that'll be airing this week actually, as we make this podcast. Um, this would be like the third week of January for listening down the road. Talked to Neil Strasbaugh, uh, did a Skype interview with Neil Strasbaugh, and, and it was very interesting to talk to him about you know people. Um, getting people hired, getting the work done, the funny car team effectively intact, coming over as a basically a complete unit, if you will, from Don Schumacher Racing into Tony Stewart Racing. The top fuel operation coming with effectively Neil Strasbaugh, and Neil was uh, tasked with not only building the cars and building everything else, but also building the team that would ultimately lead this uh, machine to the racetrack. And in talking to Neil, 
He's dealing with the stuff that everybody else is dealing with, maybe even at a higher magnitude with trying to get the parts and pieces in. Obviously, the supply chain stuff has been a nightmare for some of these teams to get to the inventory level they wanted and kind of get the get the thing established to the point where they can roll in to the preseason Phoenix test and really get the most out of that they can before we go to Pomona. It is uh, basically a month away as I'm making this show. It is effectively one month away from the date that I'll be traveling out there to Pomona, that most of the race teams will be traveling to Pomona, having just completed the Phoenix test, and that really is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, there's going to be news coming forth in the in the very near future about um, uh, the NHRA Top Fuel and Nitro Funny Car All-Star Callout Shootouts. There's been a lot of buzz around those programs, and that buzz has resulted in uh, what will be some great news coming here in the near future. And those programs are going to be fantastic. I mean, think about the pressure of a Top Fuel team. You have two opportunities to garner qualifying points to be eligible to compete in the Top Fuel NHRA All-Star Callout Shootout at Gainesville Raceway. So the funny car teams have all the way up until Brainerd to kind of decide and and lock in where they're going to be. Steve Torrance will go in as the number one seed locked in automatically because of his uh, world championship in the 2021 season. So it'll be the other seven slots. And honestly, if you blow qualifying at one of these first two races, chances are you're not going to make it. And teams that maybe you would not expect that qualify well at these first two races may be in there trying to throw down for these massive cash purses. And it's going to be all on the Gainesville Saturday race. People are wondering, why is there three qualifying sessions at Gainesville? Well, simply put, because we have the shootout race to run. So there's a a three qualifying situation in Gainesville. And then we'll go in, of course, to that shootout. Uh, There's going to be more. Uh, news coming regarding the coverage of those shootouts as well. So make sure you keep your eyes and ears peeled across NHRA.com, social media platforms, and uh, specifically here as well, because we'll be on top of all that news when it comes out and we're able to speak on it. Understanding that there is some positive news coming in terms of racetrack ownership in the next couple of weeks as well. Kind of a a bombshell story will be coming there, and this is uh, one of those good bombshells, which thankfully when we talk about NHRA Camping World, Lucas Oil, Drag Racing Series, whatever element of NHRA we're talking about, and bombshell news, uh, these have been all glitter bombs. They've been <laughs> they have been positive, and not stink bombs in any in any kind of uh, sense of the word. Uh, more news coming from the tech department. We understand in the next couple weeks as well. So um, I'm sitting on a pile of uh, of stuff here that will be released uh, at its proper time, and I just hope you're all buckled in and ready for it because um, it is <laughs> it's going to be something else. Um, you know, looking forward and, and having some conversations around the sport in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it is really fun to get everybody's sense of excitement for 2022 it's fun to get everybody's sense of of just how this this whole kind of season is going to shake out and and when we talk to Jason Bunker when we talk to Aaron Brooks we're really going to get a more inside perspective on that and you know one of the things that is is similar about these two guys is that they have worked on it on a, as I mentioned earlier all kinds of different stuff over the course of their careers you know Aaron Brooks starting back in the late 90s as a like a tire guy for for Don Perdome we'll talk about that 
and becoming um, obviously one of the premier crew chiefs in the sport. You know, when you become a de facto first call, dial this guy up because we need assistance, we need guidance, we need help, we need leadership, we need a fresh set of eyeballs. Uh, that means you've achieved a high level of success. And obviously the amount of race wins he has, you know, when he was with Morgan Lucas and Richie Crampton and the things they accomplished um, speak for themselves. And his ability to help guide and foster these teams coming in the sport is incredibly important. And that's one of the things I want to talk to him about because ultimately growth in, in drag racing, especially in the nitro ranks, is coming in a way that maybe a lot of us didn't expect. It is coming at the grassroots level, which let's be honest, it is the most difficult way, but it is also the best way. When you have when you have grassroots growth in anything, in anything at all, whether we're talking about Little League baseball or, or professional drag racing, it is far better than when it is growth because of vanity and a rich guy comes in with a bunch of money and, and blows in and blows out of the sport in two years. We have seen that happen a hundred times. We've seen it happen a thousand times. We can go through the professional athletes. We can go through the um, musicians, actors, you know, big high-level business people that come in, um, kind of do the whole ego stroke thing. They come in with the biggest, flashiest stuff. They come in with the biggest, flashiest name, and, and they're gone. On the opposite side of the coin, we see people like the McIntyre family, who Aaron Brooks has worked with extensively on their funny car program. They come in, they race as many times as they can, but they're committed to the sport of drag racing. Doug Foley comes in. Aaron Brooks is going to be on this team next year and, and being a great guiding force there. The Greg Carrillos of the world. Like, we can go down a list. The, the list of the grassroots guys is shorter than the list of the ego stroke guys, but the grassroots guys are all still here. That's the difference. And they may not be here 22, 24 races a year, but they're here for the hall. They're committed to doing this because they have the sport in their blood and in their soul. And a guy like Aaron Brooks being able to come in and get them started on the right path and then foster that growth is incredibly important. Because when people blow through their entire budget or blow through their life savings or blow through their inheritance or blow through whatever it is, uh, it is disheartening, it is dispiriting, and it is the reason why a lot of people over the years have just thrown up their hands and walked away. So we're going to talk to, to Aaron Brooks about that. And we're going to talk to Jason Bunker about being a, really a third-generation racer. Uh, his grandfather, legendary Folsom Flash himself, Bob Bunker, and his, his 55 Chevy, which is the stuff of legend as an East Coast kid growing up reading all the car magazines. I would read about Bob Bunker on the West Coast and you know him and guys like Charles Carpenter and the and the whole rest of the, uh, the Dave Riolo, like those dudes back in the day, the pro gas days, if you will, um, really brought on a whole new generation of drag racing fans, myself included. And we're going to talk to to Jason about all kinds of things. A lot of people don't know this guy was a race director for the good guys. Of course, crew chiefing Mark Metters to a multitude of wins in Pro Modified, championships of West Coast Outlaw Pro Mod Association, uh, wins in Night Nostalgia Nitro Funny Car Action. So a couple of interesting guys. And, and to me, I'm not saying they're underappreciated, but I, I really want in the course of this show, I want you to understand who these guys are. Uh, what they've accomplished, and really why they are both worthy of making sure you keep your eyes peeled on them. And, and for Aaron Brooks, more so than Jason Bunker, you know his history, right? You know a lot of what he has done and accomplished, but I want to really get into the weeds on that. And for J for Jason Bunker, I want you to understand who this guy is and why this guy is someone to keep an eye on and, and that he's not going anywhere either. Tony Girardo's car, um, the Capital Punishment, both the nostalgia car and the modern-day car, 
they run uh, they run like stink. They run very well. They run strong, and and the reason is they have good leadership, they have good tuning, and they have a good operation. So we're going to catch up with both of these guys. We're going to start with Mr. Aaron Brooks. Aaron, how are things out there in frigid Indianapolis, Indiana? I'm doing good, thanks. It's uh, it's been frigid, that's for sure. It, uh, we got spoiled a little bit in December. It wasn't too bad, and then it finally caught up. So that's part of it. It totally is part of it. But I know that you're uh, in a shop or a hundred shops, man. You're involved in so many different cars and teams. What's your concentration this winter? Uh, lately, I've been uh, you know with working with Doug Foley stuff the most, uh, kind of just revamping everything. We're we're building a new car and just going through kind of everything top to bottom. Um, so that's been, uh, been pretty, you know, it's a, it's a lot of, a lot of work, you know, time consuming and yeah, that's been the primarily it. I've, you know, fortunately, you know, trip Tatum working with his stuff, you know, with him, he's literally, you know, about a hundred feet away his shop. So they're <laughs> literally across the parking lot. So that, that's one little advantage. It's, you know, it's literally a walking, walking trip to go next door you got to pick who you eat lunch with every day right <laughs> yep that's right wait eat lunch i I, I'm, I don't usually have time for that <laughs> you know and it's interesting because obviously doug uh, fully relocated his operation they were based out of charlotte and uh he finally you know he finally came to the realization that he needed to be where kind of where everybody else is and and for this reason right i mean that the fact that you're talking about these two shops being you know within a stone's throw of each other you really kind of if you want to be out there and, and you want to be competing at a high level it does seem to me that you need to be where everybody is yeah i mean it, it definitely it, it's more convenient it's especially if you're i mean there, you know, there's flip side to it i guess you know part-time if you're not gonna you know if you're not able to run full-time or you're not running full-time if you don't have full-time guys like for example if doug would have had three or four guys that lived in charlotte that were there you know, working at the shop, then that that's a little different story, you know, for where if I just need to go down there to work, but when the majority of the guys, you know, live all over the country and they're going to fly in, it's, you know, a plane ticket's a plane tick, ticket for the most part. So, you know, at least this way I can, you know, I can be here pretty much every day. And, you know, it, like you said, even just with being able to have the resources here, there's, there's so much in Indy and Brownsburg, you, know, you need to borrow a little part from someone or, you know, you can just run next door or you know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's a little harder when you're out, out kind of on the Island. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even in terms of like the preseason preparation, like you said, if you got something on order and somebody else has got two of them and you can borrow one and, and hand them the new one when it shows up, it doesn't completely stop your progress. Yeah. Especially, I mean, this day and age, the way it's been, it's you know it's only gotten worse i mean I, everybody i know everybody's in the same boat for the most part is you know the parts everything's backed up everything's back ordered you know stuff is just trickling in you know those days of calling up and having it show up on your doorstep you know within a day or two it's it's uh we got spoiled for a lot of a lot of years with that so now it's it's a little harder to you know, you're just sitting here waiting in the middle of pro- you got four different projects and you can't quite button anything up because you're just waiting. And it's interesting, and and obviously a guy with your level of experience, you know, you can you can only do so much in terms of when the stuff gets there. You can't control any of that. But to your point, you know, when you understand kind of what needs to get done, you can pick away at the things you can do, and then finish the stuff up when it comes in. I think you know, for your what you started, what ninety seven was your first year working with Prodome back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Working on uh, Ron Caps on the Copenhagen Funny Car, and you know that's that's the type of thing where you know having been in the sport now for as long as you have, you know, understanding 
the, those things. And and one of the, the questions I was going to have for you, and you brought it up uh, when you talked about you know the people. This has been an offseason unlike anything I've ever seen in, in my time in, in this sport when, you know, we've almost flipped a script where usually we're wondering like, OK, are all these guys going to have a job next year? Now it's like we're wondering, are all these teams going to have enough guys to run these cars? It's wild. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and unfortunately, it's it's a, kind of across the board. Um Yeah, and it, I really didn't even apply probably just to drag racing. I have you yeah. know tons of friends in, in all sorts of different other industries and it's just everybody's the same the same same old thing you know can't get enough guys can't get anybody and yeah we're we're in the same boat i mean it's you know fortunately i think we're in pretty good shape with with doug's car as far as you know if you're not running the full schedule most of these guys have a regular job so they're able to peel away but it still doesn't make it that much easier. And I know a lot of teams are still, you know, trying to find might only be one or two guys, but you know, it's, it's coming up pretty close on time to go testing and it's a little nerve wracking, not knowing if you're going to have everybody. And then you also have the, you know, who knows who's going to get sick. You could be ready to roll out to Phoenix and then two of your guys get COVID and they can't go, you know, they got a quarantine or, you know, then, then what do you do? You really start scrambling. Yeah, and you know, I know that a lot of fans don't understand or know that over the years is that there's a lot of seesaw back and forth of guys that will work in NHRA drag racing, and then they may go work in IndyCar. They kind of float back and forth, and and the reality is the IndyCar series has added some teams. Our sports added some teams, so that seesaw really isn't there anymore as much as it used to be. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, you know I, I keep actually have a little list you know kind of 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 part time guys that I you know I keep a list handy of all these names and unfortunately a lot of those i've had to cross off because they either went full-time racing you know maybe indycar or they they just you know married and have kids and yeah. they they want to get off the road altogether but you know like i said it does work out sometimes to the advantage for the part-time team because you have a guy that's maybe got a lot of experience but he how he wants to go to six or ten maybe 12 races yeah. that that works out good at, at times but those guys get snatched up pretty quick with, you know, there's a fair amount of, you know, part-time teams out there. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's a limited, you know, it's a limited pool of labor. Um, You know, when we look at what you've been doing the last several seasons and, and getting a lot of teams sorted out, started out and moving ahead. I mentioned this before, before we got on the phone here to talk, but it's an incredibly important role because we've seen like this grassroots kind of growth in drag racing. Like take the McIntyre family, for example, you know, that's a, a great family operation. These guys are hardcore racers. You've worked very closely with them and they have a really nice competitive car when they come out to race it now. And, for a guy like you to be with them and get them off on the right foot is a huge thing because you know this, you've seen guys come in, they, they spend every dime they had and they're gone in, in a year or two because they're frustrated. Yeah. I mean, that's unfortunately that's happened right, too many times. And, you know, there's not necessarily, there, you know, there's not one right way to do this. Um, there's a lot of right ways, you know, a lot of different combinations, but there is a lot of wrong ways. <laughs> and like you said, it, you know, a lot of times guys will come in with, you know, they, if they don't know you, you get, maybe you get steered in the wrong direction by, by somebody that's got their, their way or their opinion. And, you know, it's easy to get off track. And I kind of have a, you know, a baseline with the, you know, with the top fuel and with the funny car kind of setups, like trying to keep the stuff, all the parts similar, you know, working on different cars and yeah. try and keep, you know, the same camshaft, the same, even try to, if possible, the same 
batch of disks, you know, clutch disks, just to try and eliminate variables, even though they're, you know, one's a funny car, one's a dragster. Right. You know, just to try and make it as easy on myself and these guys to, you know, to be able to, to be competitive. And, you know, if you only get to go out five or six times a year, you don't want to waste any, no one wants to waste a run, whether you're full time or not. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, these guys, a lot of these guys, this comes out of their pocket. I mean, this is their, you know, they, this is their own personal money. They don't have someone else paying for it. So it's, you know, I I tell all the guys that I work with, whether it's Foley or McIntyre, anybody, you know, I, I know, down almost to the penny what every single part on one of these cars costs and i know how expensive it is so you know i try to look out for you know watch their dollars because it's it's easy to you know it's easy it's easy to spend money but it's it's a lot harder to acquire the money to buy all this stuff <laughs> it's like losing weight <laughs> you can put yeah, it on, it's put it exactly. on real easy <laughs> yep you know it, it, what is and i'm you know not i'm not going to bring up any specific names but what is the difference in working with, let's say, the McIntyres, who are, you know, hardcore kind of bloody knuckle racers, they, they ran very successfully in the Nostalgia, Nostalgia Nitro Funny Car ranks, versus a versus somebody who's more of an enthusiast, right, versus somebody who is, has the gotten the backing, has come in with the funding, wants to go racing, but doesn't necessarily know the nuts and bolts. I mean, from your perspective as a as a crew chief, what is the difference there? Is it a lot more education with that with that guy that isn't necessarily somebody who's come up through the through the trenches? Yeah, I think so. I mean it's education and it's you know, that's one thing when I started doing this, you know, when I you know, the 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 full time jobs are, are becoming a little more scarce. So being able to work on different cars that was one of the things I had to kind of wrap my head around was I've, you know, like I said, since 97, I started out fortunately with a, you know, championship caliber team and been able to work on these, you know, big, well-funded full-time teams for 20 years. And then you, you kind of have this mentality, you, you're just groomed that way. And all of a sudden you, you know, you're, you're going at it with a different mindset and it's, it takes a little bit to kind of, you have to figure out each one's a, a different, uh, maybe formula or a different yeah. uh, plan of attack on, well, hey, what is our true agenda here? Like, you know, because at the end of the day, it all costs money and, you know, you hate to say it, but the better you want to run, it usually costs more because of, you know, upkeep, uh, you know, quality of parts, all that. So that, that's the biggest thing is, you know, some guys want might want to go out and, hey, I want to be able to go out and win races, but I've only got, you know, <laughs> two short blocks and one set of heads and, you know, like, well, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but not going to be very, very easy. Yeah. So that's probably one of the biggest challenges is trying to get, you know, I guess, like you said, maybe education and you know, getting guys to, you know, manage expectations and. Yeah. And be realistic with what they're trying to achieve. You know, I, I look at a guy yep. like Greg Carrillo that you've worked with and, you know, Greg is an intense guy. I love talking to Greg cause he's like on the chip 24 seven, but I think Greg approaches this in that way that you just mentioned. I think Greg is very realistic with what he wants to do. He wants to go out there and be fast, but at the same time he does understand like where he needs to allocate the resources and how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And he, you know, that working with him and, you know, with Glenn Micros has been there with him for a while. That's, it's a lot of fun to work with those guys. And, you know, we've just, you know, one of the things I've tried to do is, you know, I've only been with him a handful of races, but our, one of the kind of the objectives is every time we go, Hey, let's, let's, how can we improve not only the performance of the car, but the quality of the parts and just the program, whether it's the procedures or, you know, 
make it make it easier on everybody and you know fortunately like his car each time we've gone out every race he's got a new career best et or maybe you know each each race is picked up a little bit and it's it's tough to do because you only get to go out a few times a year but you know it's it's shown a lot of progress and that's you know I, you know not saying that's all you can ask for but that that is good to you know yeah kind of go in a forward direction it's, it's tough because i'm i'm used to racing full-time and you know it's a performance-based oh yeah sport where you know you you <laughs> want to go every race and you want to you know pick it up it's all right we're going to take three months off all right well now we got to regroup <laughs> right. a little bit now right, how are we going to you know how are we going to pick up from the last race you know so much of the stuff that uh that determines a performance in one of these cars whether it's a dragster or a funny car is invisible to the fans it's it's so difficult for us to translate you know the the amount of effort and the precision needed to actually succeed in this in this sport and you know it's to your point you can have good people but if those good people aren't aren't getting the reps, aren't doing their job in a in a very consistent fashion, it's just never going to work the right way. So it's almost, in my estimation, almost even more impressive when you have an operation. Let's use Greg Carrillo as an example. That is a what five, four, five, six race a year on a stretch kind of operation that can come out and be consistent. The car's firing up every time it comes to the starting line. It's making solid runs. I guess it speaks to either the experience of the guys he has there, the leadership that Glenn's providing over them. I mean, it's, it's invisible for us to see it, but it, it's evident in the performance. Yeah. I mean, that, that's something that, like I said, I, I probably took for granted, you know, like over the years, you know, working with, you know, Schumacher for a lot of years and I went to Allen Abbey and then, you know, Lucas for five or six years. And I have used those guys as a great example. You know, I would think I was there, we'll say five or six years and we, I looked, I kind of looked through the notes. We'd made, I think, roughly a thousand runs over that time span. We never lost a run. I mean, I, I could only count on one hand, maybe two or three mistakes that had been made in that entire time. Wow. None of, none of those mistakes ever cost us a run. It was, you know, it was just such a well-oiled machine. I just got spoiled with that. And then you get taken out of that element. It's like, holy cow. You know, it was, <laughs> there was some eye opening as far as seeing how, a lot of guys put the cars together and what their opinion of the correct way. And it's, you know, it, it, that's been a, that was an adjustment where now I get to the point of, you know, I, I just, I, you can't take any little thing for granted. You have to, the preparation is, is the, the toughest part, you know, is, is rolling into the track ready to go is, is as important as anything else. Yeah, I mean, close enough is not good enough, right? I mean, and, and you know, one of the things uh, that, you know, I talk to people that are outside of drag racing, it's like a, a small mistake you'd make on your 400 horsepower street machine is amplified by like multitudes on one of these cars. You know, just minor, minor mistakes are made into just catastrophes. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, the stuff we, how we measure everything and, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably on the, 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 far side of you know down to the little tiny details of measuring things. you know I, I love measuring stuff down to as tight a tolerance as you can get and it's you know i i have a good friend of mine does custom kitchen cabinets he's he's done a few of the racers out here antrons and tommy's and some other guys he's done some work with and when he he put my kitchen in he got the island his beautiful kitchen and he's and i go i said man that thing's not quite right that island's off He's, I mean, he couldn't believe me, and he finally he said, man, it's an eight-foot island. He said, that one corner is, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's less than an eighth of an inch. I said, well, that's that's kind of a lot. You know, he, 
said eighth inch in a, in a house is a, you know, that's like a split in hairs, but he said, man, all you drag racers, I don't know if I want to build kitchens for you guys anymore because, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's really, that's, that's, uh, that's awesome. That does speak to the level of detail that is, <laughs> that is necessary. What's your take on, on this kind of new era that we're entering in now where it is, you know, and I, I, there's a lot of alliances out there, a lot of teams that are either loosely or, or even maybe a little bit tighter than loosely aligned. But, you know, there's a, the majority of teams now are, are cars that are standing on their own two feet. I, I, I find it to be very exciting. I, I'm interested in your take kind of looking from the inside out. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I mean, if you, it's really in a, in a really short amount of time. I mean, really, you look at two, two and a half years ago, we had, you know, Schumacher had what, six or seven cars? Yep. Force, you know, you had these Ecolitas, everybody has scaled back. And I mean, I think it's, it's good in the aspect of it. You know, it might level the playing field a little bit for a lot of these guys. And you don't have that for maybe some of these guys that want to get out here and, and look at it and go, man, you know, I'll, you know, Schumacher's got half the half the top fuel field. I, I don't, why do I even want to go? Yeah. But I think I think it'll be good in the long in the long run. Yeah, I think it will too. And and obviously from your perspective, it makes things more challenging, right? Because when you have those when you have the big operations, it is obviously a better job market for a guy like you. You know, I mean, there's there's no two ways around that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I would I've joked about that. Like, man, I think I was born about. 10 or 15 years too late because like the heyday of some of this you know or you know this isn't exactly the most uh job security is not really uh no. it's kind of foregone when you when you get into this whether you know drivers crew chiefs crew guys i mean hospitality guys it probably doesn't really matter it's probably across the board it's not a real you know it's not the most stable of of job environments but it's it's you know, I think we're just all suckers for it. It's, it's too fun. Such a, it's, it's, it's a good job to have. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about your international experience, too, because obviously you spent plenty of time uh, working on cars over in Europe. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that, you know, over here you try to, you, as best you can, you know, balance a lot of the componentry in a lot of these cars to make things consistent across the work you're doing with them. Over there, that can't be the case, right? I mean, not to say they don't have great parts and good teams, but they don't necessarily have the stuff that, that you have here no it's it's definitely uh, i think the easiest way to describe it because I, I didn't know when i first went over there to work with the urbachers you know i, I knew Urs loot just you know not very well from when he had raced over here you know 10 years ago but the first time i rolled over there and you kind of get out there and get get into it, it's like it was like a time warp i mean you know it was like going back in time probably 15 or 20 years and parts wise you know they buy all of the parts pretty much come second hand from all the teams here gotcha and you know you're out like we, we raced in finland you're you're five hours north of helsinki i mean you're literally like wow. in the middle of nowhere so you need something you're definitely not running down to the parts <laughs> store or you know you're not even going to run down to a napa and get it They're, you're out in the middle of nowhere so you get you got to get creative you know and it's uh, it's funny because the guys that have ever raced over there, Australia, we kind of, you know, some of us joke about it when you get guys that are racing here and they com complain about how bad it is. I said, man, if, if you really want, you find out the guys that truly want to race uh, for a living and go race in Europe because you come back here and you're like, man, this is, this is like vacation with, yeah. you know, yeah, when, you know, you're in between runs and you've, you've blown up the reverser. 
And the only way to make it up there the next run is you've got three other blown up reversers and you're, you know, you're scabbing it together just so you know, like, Hey, we got to make sure it's good enough to make a run. But you know, that, when that's the only option, it's, it's, but the guys were there, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a fun environment. Um, they're competitive and you know, it, it's, it's a really good time racing over there. And you talk about doing things for the love of it. I mean, those guys, you know, to the level that so many people over here do it for the love of it. But over there, I mean, it is. And to your point, you know, the the remoteness of a lot of the racetracks, availability of parts, and and it just, it is so difficult to do it over there. Not that it is easy here, because of course it isn't. But my God, it is. It is by magnitude. Oh yeah, incredible. Yeah, you, you, just the travel alone, because you know, here you just hop in the semis and drive. Yeah, you're going state to state, but over there, it's it might not be that much farther of a drive from going from Indy to, you know, Phoenix or Pomona, but you got to, might have to go through a guy might have to go through six different countries and then you've got customs. And I mean, all the <laughs> logistics of just, all right, we're going to go to England. Well, you got to get on a ferry, you know, it's, it's definitely more, uh, it's, it's a whole nother world. So as we look forward to the 2022 season, uh, we know that your, I believe your primary kind of concern will be on a Doug Foley's car, but we, will you still be maintaining contact with some of these other teams? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you know, like right now, I think we're, we're looking at, you know, 10 races. Hopefully we can add some more with Doug's car, you know, get somebody to throw some money at it. But you know, the McIntyre's I talk with, with Mike, junior you know pretty regularly we're getting a plan for his car um you know i go over and work on like i said across the street with trip's car um you know Artie allen he's he's gonna run some races still so we're yeah i think we got some guys going down there to start getting stuff ready start servicing his stuff yeah i just talked to carillo for a while yesterday you know trying to figure out what races he wants to do so yeah i mean it's uh i, I suspect i'm gonna be pretty busy well, that's a good thing, man. It's a good thing, and uh, certainly appreciate the hustle. And and it's it's, I don't know, man. It's just it's a, it's it's an entertaining thing to watch how you're able to work with with so many of these teams and and really kind of get them moving in the right direction. It's uh it's a skill set that you have that a lot of people don't have, and it's an ability you have because of the experience, you know. And and like you said, these experiences going to whether you're going to Europe or Australia or you know working with guys that that don't have another set of cylinder heads, so those got to work. Um, in the end, it adds value. It certainly, it certainly has added a, another dimension to your career. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I probably didn't ever foresee. I mean, I, you know, I always I like traveling to Europe. My wife's you know from Germany, so we we do go there a lot. I had always wanted to race over there and just go check it out, and it you know kind of unfolded in a different way than I imagined. But it's you know, yeah, I, you know if. if some point we're supposed to go down we, we sold a funny car to, to the you know Cowans down in australia you know trying to get down there at some point to if all this covid stuff ever lets up you know that's kind of next on the agenda man that's cool well i listen congratulations on your success and uh congratulations on your hustle and I look forward to seeing you uh out this year are you guys hoping to get out to the west coast to test or are you going to pick it up in gainesville what's the generalized yeah, plan? The- the plan right now is, uh, you know, we're planning on the Phoenix test and running the first couple races, you know, uh, we just, just got the a new chassis just literally yesterday started putting that thing together. So, you know, providing, providing everything shows up, our plan is to go out West to start off the season. So, you know, keep your fingers crossed. That's cool, man. Qualify well the first two races. You might be able to run for some money down here in Gainesville. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Aaron Brooks. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. Yep. Yeah, thanks, Brian.
Man, what a great guy to catch up with and talk to. Aaron Brooks, of course, maintaining an incredibly busy schedule internationally in the drag racing scene, and it's going to be fun to watch him working with that multitude of teams that we talked about throughout the course of that interview. Great perspective. I I feel like when you talk to a guy like Aaron Brooks, who's been in this sport, again, starting as a guy who worked on, like, did the tires on Ron Capps' car when he first came in in 1997 and worked his way to the level that he's at now, it it is a unique look that he has over over the kind of overarching level of the sport of drag racing and uh, always great to catch up with him. All right, so our second guest on this crew chief episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, a guy who is coming from the coast to the most out there in California, Jason Bunker. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm doing really well. It's great to uh, be able to catch up with you. Certainly uh, great to be able to have a crew chief only show, man. This is uh, good conversations with both you and Aaron Brooks. So, you know, I I want people to understand kind of your background in this sport and where you came from and how many different things you've done. Because I know you've been everything from a race director to, you know, a, a kid that fetched wrenches for your grandfather. So talk to me about where you started in drag racing. <laughs> yeah, I started out just as a uh, little kid running around the racetrack, really grew up at the racetrack. Uh, you know, my grandfather raced uh, as I grew up um, and just, you know, kind of fell in love with it, obviously. Probably was forced into it mostly, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fell in love with it at the same time and you know never really had any you know aspirations to do much with it you know i grew up playing sports Even playing athlete. baseball traveling yeah. Playing, yeah baseball over the place and that was my thing and as i got a little older you know the i guess you could say the mechanical side or the you know the performance side of it all kind of bit me and started out washing parts cleaning cars and you know worked my way up doing bottom end on you know, alcohol cars, whether it be pro mod cars or top sportsman racing, raced with a handful of guys early on in my career and just kind of learned it that way. You know, obviously having a family that the drag raced is, uh, you know, a big help, I guess you could say. But um, essentially, yeah, man, I just worked my way through it and learned and, and kept my uh, eyes open and mouth shut type of a situation and, you know, worked my way up through this. So, um I think, you know, one of the things I want to mention for our our savvy listeners here, those that are hardcore fans, your grandfather was like one of the coolest guys ever, the the Folsom Flash himself. I mean, this guy, the Tri-5 Chevy, the guy, iconic race car, an iconic racer, not only in the West Coast. I was a kid growing up reading reading drag racing magazines and, you know, Charles Carpenter, Dave Riolo, your dad. I mean, these guys were, these guys were legend. Yeah, you know, for me, it's really cool to, you know, uh, my grandpa actually just celebrated his 81st birthday uh, on Sunday. So that's really cool. Still got him. And, you know, for him to be able to kind of give us the opportunity myself and obviously my dad and my brother, you know, he kind of birthed us all into this kind of thing, I guess you could say. And I grew up, obviously, the 55. Uh, my he's, my grandpa still owns it. He bought it. He sold awesome. it a long time ago and bought it back, and it's in his possession. And uh, that's very important to him, very important to our family. But, yeah, man, I mean, the the Riolo Carpenter, you know Gordy Faust, Robbie Vandergriff, you know the Wild and Crazy. I mean, there was some some serious cars back then in the you know in the early '90s, I guess you could say, when Pro Mod kind of took off. So for me, it's very cool. I've got stacks of magazines, you know, all that all that good stuff. You know what I mean? So oh, for yeah. me, yeah, it's cool. And you know, I think what all what else is interesting too is you know you talked about you know that experience and and. It, it doesn't always translate, right? The the, the family interest in, in drag racing or in any sport doesn't always kind of pass itself down. So for you, 
you know, what were the elements of of you kind of understanding, hey, this is this is my path? Like when did it become evident to you that this was a path that you were that you were really wanting to pursue? I would say you know, my, my I guess my path would be I gotta give that push to uh, Mark Matters with good guys. I mean when I when I, when I met Mark and started working with him on his on his pro mod car, it was I was twenty years old, you know, learning our way through it and he gave me the first opportunity to kinda Hey, I got this brand new car, you know, kind of a new driver in the pro mod ranks, but like, Hey, let's, let's do this together. Let's learn this. Let's, let's grow. Let's have some fun. And it really worked out well. I mean, that was the, the first break I really had doing anything to be honest with you. And I, I met, you know, ended up meeting one of my best friends, Jeff Acation. He worked with me on that car. He works on uh, the Ashley top field dragster now. Um, and that's, you know, made some lifelong friendships through that, but that was really the first time. And I raced with Mark for eight years and it was probably, you know, some of the best times I've ever had. You know, one of the other things you did back in the day with good guys is you were their race director for the events. And there is like, there, people do not understand. There is no like less thankless job or more thankless job (laughs) in drag racing than being a race director and being up there in race control, keeping the event moving and making the calls. And I realize it is, it has nothing to do with wrenching on a race car, but that is valuable experience to have when you're when you're out there running these events. Oh man, it's the most—I I will agree with you—the most thank, thankless thing you could ever do. You know, I mean, when it's good, it's good. When it is bad, you <laughs> look for, you want to go do something else. You know what I mean? I know you've got a background in this kind of stuff, but yeah. you know, like the, my time with good guys was fantastic. Um, obviously, working with the company on the car show side was great, but the, you know, having doing the race director. Uh, role there as well was cool for me i obviously had a passion in drag racing i was already racing with mark we were running his pro mod car and we started doing uh you know some booked in events uh, with the ndrl we had some uh, nostalgia playing car classes exhibition fuel altered car i mean we had we had a lot of cool stuff and we you know picked and choose where we wanted to do it and i think it was a great time i mean seattle event up there if, if anybody on the west coast wants to go to a one night drag race that will knock your socks off the good guys friday night drags in seattle was fantastic let's talk about making the adjustment it's a leap let's just call it what it is the leap from you know blown alcohol pro modified car which is which is a very difficult and challenging thing to tune to the ranks of nitromethane when you guys went nostalgia nitro funny car racing and not only did you go nostalgia nitro funny car racing you guys kicked ass yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, that is a heck of a jump. I mean, the the my first foray into nitro racing was really with Mark. We were we had run the, the ProMod car for quite a while, and hey, let's 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 do something different. Was kind of the approach, like let's do this. And and for the company and Mark had good guys. The nostalgia class was really kind of fit that mold. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So we jumped into that. We did that for a few years. Uh, I had a great time, but you want you know learning curve for sure. I mean, it was a massive learning curve. <laughs> Uh, just, just going from a blown alpha car to a, you know, nostalgia nitro funny car is, is a jump. And then the jump from nostalgia nitro funny car to the, the big show feel funny car is like, I, I don't even know if it's a jump. There's gotta be another word out there for it, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's 10 times the complexity, 10 times the challenge, you know, 10 times, 20 times the work and, you know, financially, obviously they're a burden, but 
I mean, it's it's the most badass thing on the planet. I'll tell you that. Oh, it absolutely is, and, and they're incredible. And what I think is interesting is I've heard a hundred drivers tell me about going from a nostalgia nitro funny car into a you know into a full bore you know camping world series nitro funny car, and, and they all say the same thing. Everything happens so much faster. They're they're shocked by how fast the thing is. They think they have an idea of of exactly how fast or what it's going to feel like, and it blows even their experience perception away. On the parallel side of that set of train tracks is the crew chiefing side of it. And I'm guessing things happen faster in the pits on these cars, or at least they have to happen faster in the pits. And the things you think you know, you probably actually don't when it comes right down to it. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, just, just like you said, it, you know, everything happens faster for the driver in the car. Uh, it's quicker, it's faster. There's, there's, there's more weight on them, you know, as far as the mental side of it. But for, you know, running the car, I mean, the turnaround times are a whole heck of a lot faster than a nostalgia race. So you've got to be on your game to make a decision, follow the weather, follow the track conditions, uh, looking at parts and do it all in a condensed format. So for me, that's a big change. You know what I mean? That was a big jump. Um, I, I think that I, you know, I spent some time. So like when I guess I should jump, this is when I, when I was doing the nostalgia thing with, with Metters, the opportunity to go big show racing came about with, uh, Richard Townsend's funny car team a couple years ago. Did I try to remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Did I throw car, holly car with Richard Townsend? Uh, Dustin Davis was, is the owner or was the owner of that. Uh, and I raced against them in the nostalgia ranks. Okay. And they made the jump from nostalgia to big show, right? So, um, I got a call from Dustin Davis. Uh, I think it was Sunday morning of the world finals 2017 asking if I was interested in going to help them. And they at the time had Lance Larson on board and they had bought a bunch of car, a bunch of parts from all over the Brownsburg area and they wanted to put a team together. So I think that, you know, me running, you know, Tony's car now having that time with Richard and having that time with Dustin and Lance really helped me out. Cause I got, I didn't really, I wasn't really doing all of it hundred percent myself, but I was learning at that time. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And they made the jump to this a whole heck of a lot more manageable, I guess you could say. I mean, it's not that it's manageable or easy, but it, it took away some of the newness. Well, yeah, when you have at so, least when you have at least a a no matter how much experience, you at least have a perspective on it, right? You're not walking in totally overwhelmed like a new kid at his first day at a new school. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean for me, you know, and I was fortunate enough to race with those guys and we had some success with that car. We ran a part time. I think we went to six or seven races that year. And just the learning experience for us at that time, our team is pretty new to the big show ranks or the professional ranks. And so for us, all of us got to learn at that at, at the same time. Right. And we had a good teacher in Lance. I mean, to me, I'm, I'm still great friends with Lance. I mean, him and I have a great relationship and he's helped me out along the way. We talk every week. Uh, he's been a good mentor for me along the way, but I think that was a really, really good stepping stone, uh, to be able to do this, to kind of get some hands-on knowledge of, okay, this is what we, this, this is what's expected and this is what we need to do. And this is how we have to come prepared. Right. So I think for me, you know, it helped me out having that, not just jumping straight into one of these things. Cause I don't even know if that's feasible to be honest with you. Well, it the would seem to be is, a horrible idea, not just from the financial oh perspective, but also from, you know, the ideas, you know, you gotta, you got somebody in there that you, it, in, in the car itself that you would assume that you like. So you don't, oh, wanna, you know, you, you <laughs> yes. don't, so there's also that element Absolutely. of it too. No. So, I mean, that was great. I mean, obviously, um, 
I continued racing with Dustin. We put together the, the, the top field car with Justin Ashley. I raced with him for another two years. Um, great time. Great, great experience. Uh, very, very thankful for my time with that. And then this opportunity with Tony came about. He, my, my relationship with Tony is funny because I raced against him in the pro mod ranks too years ago. Oh, I didn't so realize he was, he was a pro mod. I didn't realize he was a pro mod racer before we went nostalgia funny car racing. Yeah, so he was a pro mod racer before the nostalgia thing, and he actually, when we finished Metters Funny Car, Tony randomly was there, and I didn't really know him at the time, but he came to Tony sh- or to Mark's shop and checked it all out, and he was like, "Oh, these are kind of cool," and like you know, kind of unassuming, but that was my first introduction to him. It was just a guy hanging out. No way. And then, <laughs> yeah, I swear. It, it's kind of wild, but I knew him because we raced against him, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him, yeah. if that makes sense. So as I continued on, he ended up having a nostalgia car built by the same guy that built Matters, uh, Keith Lauer at PRC in Missouri. And when I was working with the, the Ashley car, uh, he called me up and he said, hey, I've got this brand new nostalgia car. Are you interested in finishing it for me? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in doing that for you. So we ended up putting it together. And that was really how it started out for him and I was kind of off, you know, off topic, off subject. And he just had a car that he wanted to finish. And we were going to put it together and go run it a little bit. And it somehow transitioned to this, where we're at now. Uh, you know, a lot of work, a lot of hard work and a lot of time spent. But, I mean, I think we put together um, a really nice race car and a really good operation over here for for some guys out here on the West Coast just uh, trying to do our best. Well, it it is so interesting to me because there is like this little contingent, small contingent, hardcore contingent of independent funny car racers on the West Coast, whether it's Chris Morrell, you guys, Jason Rupert, and it's so interesting. And, you know, that the first race you guys ran, I believe, was Sonoma, and you qualified at that race, which was a huge accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, it was. It was that was a big accomplishment. That was our goal. I mean, we came into this, you know, we licensed, we started running this thing early last year, I believe in February, uh, and licensed along the way. We went to Vegas and ran following the national event after the four wide event last year, finished up Tony's license before Sonoma and we debuted it in Sonoma. And, you know, the goal was to go there and first have a good time. And, and number two was, let's see if we can get this thing qualified. And, and through licensing and through testing, we had, you know, it made some decent runs. Um, but, you know, a new driver, new team, new parts, new pieces. You know, you're always going to have, you know, hurdles to get through. Oh, and sure. We showed up there and we were able to qualify. I mean, that was a, you know, we all kind of looked around and high five each other like, hey, that was, that's a good goal. And we attained that goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, when you go to a race like that, where it, where there actually is a bump spot, you get yourself in the field and you look around, you go, you know what? This is some validation, right? This is some validation of a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. This is some validation of a lot of stress. And this is some validation that we do actually belong here with these people. Absolutely, man. I mean, it was, I mean, it was all of that, everything you just said, every bit of that. And, uh, you know, it was cool. I think that third session, if I remember right there in, in Sonoma was actually really cool. I mean, there was some bumping. Yep. I think Alex bumped his way in and then, uh, Morel bumped his way in and then we bumped Alex out. And it, you know, I think John force was on the outside looking in and he bumped Morel the last, you know, opportunity that he could. And I mean, it was, uh, kind of must-see TV kind of a thing there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it's so weird that like, when we have enough cars show up to these races, it makes qualifying really interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works, right? You know, Tony's... Oh, no, man. 
Tony strikes me as a as kind of a full throttle guy, right? He strikes me as a guy who um, who gets his teeth sunk into stuff and and really gets into it. And you know, I had the opportunity to talk to him at the Nightfire Nationals in Boise this year. You guys ran the nostalgia car out there and ran into him on Sunday night, I believe it was, or I guess it was probably close to okay. Monday Monday morning by the time he got done. And man, he was just so excited with with really everything that was going on with not only the nostalgia car but really with the uh, with the Camping World Series car as well. And you know, his eyes are all big, and he's like, "Man, I'm working on this thing," and and I. I can't I can't wait to try to do more and and it's it was really cool to see his excitement oh he's he's just a big old kid man he he loves this stuff I mean his racer he started late in it I want to say he started in his 40s we started racing uh you know so for him he started out bracket racing you know local stuff up here and and now he's got a you know camping world professional funny car sitting here in our shop and I think for him, that's that's a big, I don't know, I don't know what you'd call that, but that's like a, a huge accomplishment to yeah. him, to be able to work and do this on his own. I mean, he did this whole thing on his own, man. I mean, this is this is his passion. This is what uh, he set out to do, and I think we've done, collectively as a group here, we've done a really good job of giving him a safe race car and uh, something that goes up down the racetrack that he can get out and have a smile with, you know? You know what does uh, what does twenty twenty two look like for uh, for Jason Bunker? I mean, what are you going to be involved in? What do you get your hands on? What are you looking to do? Right now, we're doing this. I, I mean, I work full time on this thing every day here in the shop, five days a week and six days a week sometimes. And I think we're going to look at I think that's seven to eight range for races. A lot nice. on the West Coast. Maybe do a little bit of travel uh, Midwest somewhere. Maybe Topeka or St. Louis or something along those lines. But you know, really try to, to keep it within. I mean, all of our crew is they're they're flying guys coming yeah. to the racetrack. Uh, I've got a couple here that will help me on weekends. Like we just had a deal this weekend. We put this thing together. I got some new parts and pieces we wanted to do just a, a warm up on and, you know, try and intake manifold and a new set of rockers and stands and shafts and just some little things that we wanted to try. So we put it all together so we can fire it up and everything went fine, but we got some decent local help. Some of the guys from out of town, so it's hard to get them to the shop, but you know, for a, for a flying group of guys, it, it, it's something to something for us to pay attention to not overwhelming ourselves yeah and stretching ourselves too thin type of a thing is what i look at when uh you know when you look at 24 24 year old you you know staring at this promod car going oh my god can can we actually pull this off to where you're at now <laughs> you know what are the most valuable lessons even if they're the hard ones what are the most valuable lessons that that 24 year old you learned early on in those in those times that still kind of stick with you today you just gotta, you just gotta do what you say you're gonna do. Type of thing is the biggest thing I've ever learned. If you say you're gonna do something, you say you're gonna, you know, help somebody out with something, or, you know, you're gonna focus on a task at hand. Just finish that first before moving on, because it's so hard uh, in this, you know, realm to get distracted with different things. Like, you know, you can get pulled in different directions. It's like, hey, just focus on what you're doing. Keep yourself directed in, in one direction and go after it 100. percent You know what I mean? And finish everything in the way as you do it. Yeah, a great point. I mean, and those are those are you know really words to live by. And you know, as big as you know this country is, as big as the sport is, I always say like drag racing is like living in a small town. Like even though there's a gazillion of us in the sport and we're all spread out yeah. all over the place, like it does not take long. Like when you live in a small town, it doesn't take long to figure out who the village idiot is and who the guy you don't want to hang out is. You know what I mean? And and so yeah. developing that reputation one way or the other, it it doesn't take long to get a good reputation and it certainly doesn't take long to, uh, to, to ruin it either. Yeah, man. I mean, everybody, I think everybody just, you know, 
focus on on what you can do do what you say you're going to do and, and move forward with that you know what i mean i think it's uh it's a good lesson in life not just racing you know what i mean it's just uh focus on the task at hand and, and, and try to achieve it the best way you can so i mean that's i try to do that here every day now is uh if, if we've got a plan we've got a plan of attack focus it and hone in on it and, and go get it type of a thing you yeah. know oh, we've got all no go for that? it no go for it no, I was just going to say, you know, I've been afforded a good opportunity here with Tony to, uh, you know, he, he could have brought in, you know, multiple guys in here to come do this with him, put this thing together. And he offered the opportunity to me to, to take it, run with it. And for me, you know, that opportunity does not come along here. I mean, you know, as well as I know, like this is a very, very tight knit, very, very uh, small community of people that run these cars. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And so for that, for that opportunity to be, you know, bestowed upon me was like, oh, heck yeah. Like, I'd be crazy not to go do this. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'd regret yeah. that for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Honestly, it's the type of opportunity that you don't just pass up. And, you know, we've got, uh, I've, you know, it's probably not too, you know, secretive, but, you know, we've gotten a lot of really good help here. I mean, yeah. with, from, from the guys at JFR. I mean, I can't tell you enough about uh, the guys there, Robert, John, you know, Chris, Jimmy. Those guys have been phenomenal to us since day one i mean this thing's all you know it's it's all force everything in this car from basically front to back so i mean that's the crazy opportunity for me to be able to go racing you know and have you know if we got any questions i got an opportunity to go talk with those guys if we got anything that we run into or something puzzling or something that stumps us you know it's a great opportunity it's a great uh i guess tool to have in the shed what what does uh what does your 81 year old grandfather drag racing legend think about this whole scene and where you're at right now oh i think i mean he he came to sonoma uh he's you know he's been to multiple races with us and you know for him i think he just looks at it like you guys are you guys are nuts but <laughs> he i think he, he he uh i i think for him he's very proud you know what i mean of me yeah as you know being his grandson and you know he was he never had the opportunity to race at the professional level so for so for him to sit back and look i think for him it's like I think it's just really gratifying. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it makes total sense. It makes total sense, and he should be. I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's a dream scenario, I think, for anybody. You want to pass something that you really love and are passionate about. You want to pass that on to, to people who will who will kind of pick up the torch, and uh, and it's obviously it's it translated very well for you and in an interesting way. And, and I think, you know, when we talk about there is value to people who have only ever gone drag racing. There's value to that, but there is also incredible yep. value to people who have other life experience. To your point, a guy like Brad Personette, great tuner, pro modified guy, is also a fellow baseball player like you. I mean, Personette was, uh, yep. he played, I believe he played semi professional ball. I know he played at a high level in college. And so, absolutely. When you're able to, you know, this, you take all your experiences in your life and you wrap it up and people think, well, baseball has nothing to do with drag racing, but I'd argue that it, it has certainly probably helped you cope with high pressure situations, decision-making under, under pressure, all that type of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I think there's something to be said for that. You know, I, I, am pretty calm. Sometimes people look at me like, Hey, you all right. That's like, yeah, sometimes <laughs> you just got to think and be quiet. You know what I mean? But I, you know, I mean, I think absolutely there, there's a lot that you can transfer from any, any form of life, whether you're a, a successful businessman or, you know, an athlete that's played, you know, high pressure games, everything transfers to anything you can look around in that life. In my opinion, you can take anything like what we do in drag racing. I can take and apply to, you know, my son's travel baseball team yeah. or, you know, anything, my daughter's, you know, I've got 
got four kids and you know my kids are all spread apart some they do 4-h and travel sports and you know they're all into everything and it's like i try to teach them the same thing is like hey focus on this like practice makes perfect work hard you only get what you put in you know what i mean type of a thing and so i mean that's one thing you try to pass along to anybody and so one last all this stuff oh yeah no all this stuff it all it all adds up it, it, this is this is how it all works um yeah. one, one last name i wanted to bring up because uh, probably unbeknownst to you you and i have an indirect connection that goes back to the days when i was the race director at new england dragway a guy named lonnie okay. hood a guy named lonnie hood who i know oh. is instrumental in your in your upcoming as well oh man lonnie honestly lonnie's probably one of the biggest reasons i'm doing that stuff he's uh a guy that was involved in in and he had his hands on several cars back in the day in the New England area. Fifi Montron was a guy. I mean, he worked with he yep. worked with a bunch of different teams. But Scott uh, Filkins, yes, yeah, Scott Filkins. He had a lot of success with Scott Filkins' car. And and I I, I always think it's kind of cool when you know you're way out there in the left coast and I'm out here in the east coast, literally up just about on the ocean. And with, there is somebody that you and I both have a mutual uh, knowledge of that through our through our time in the sport. Yeah, small world, man. Good times. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for taking the time today to talk. It's great to get some insight on to uh, kind of where you've come from, where you guys are going, and, and congratulations on the success you've had with the Capital Punishment Funny Car. And, you know, we look at this grassroots kind of growth that we're having in drag racing, and, and the reality is um, it is the healthiest type of growth we can have. When we have passionate car owners, passionate racers like Tony Gerardo that come in and do this because they live and breathe and bleed it, and they have guys like you working in their stuff, the sport's better for it. Yeah, no, man, I appreciate it. And, you know, for, for the sport to grow, I think, you know, the more cars we get, the better off this is going to be. And this is kind of homegrown here. You know what I mean? He's worked his way up. Tony's done a great job of getting to where he's at. And, uh, you know, for me, yeah, personally, it's uh, it's gratifying. And I'm very thankful thankful to be here doing this. But I think the sport as a whole, the more cars we can get, the more people we can get out there, the better off it's going to be. That's a fact. Jason Bunker, he's hustling out there with the Capital Punishment car. Get that machine ready for the start of the season on the West Coast. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it, man. And that, as they say, is that. What a great show, a very entertaining show to have these conversations with two great crew chiefs, Aaron Brooks, who has been a long-established property in the world of professional drag racing, and Jason Bunker, who continues to prove himself capable and worthy of standing in the ring with anybody out there as Tony Gerardo continues to advance his career in the Capital Punishment Nitro Funny Car. Great to hear that they're going to be running six to eight races this year. That's a great commitment for them, and certainly awesome to hear that Aaron Brooks has his hands very much full working with a multitude of different teams and top fuel in nitro funny car drag racing we're going to continue telling stories this off season sometimes breaking some news sometimes giving you insight onto the ins and outs of the sport like we did today with jason bunker and aaron brooks and sometimes get a little creative in fact one of the upcoming shows we have lined up is a bit of a love letter to one of the nhra's oldest sanctioned drag strips we'll let that one drop in a couple weeks but stay with us on the nhra insider podcast all off season and during the season it is going to be unending news and unending excitement especially when things get kicked off at the winter nationals and even the weekend before that at the phoenix test we'll be out there at the phoenix test for several days and we'll be gathering information seeing who's performing who isn't and what these new teams are shaping up to be in 2022 as always follow the nhra social media channels on instagram facebook tiktok twitter it's everywhere and go to nhra.com for breaking news as well i'm brian loans thanks for listening to this episode a highly enjoyable one to make hopefully a highly enjoyable one to listen to of the nhra insider podcast we'll see you next week